Hey y'all, um, welcome back to this episode of my podcast, Unapologetic Black Girl. I'm super excited for this episode. I know there's going to be a lot to unpack and dive into. Um, this episode is going to be about the model minority myth and its effects on the Black and Asian communities. Obviously, with the coronavirus and social distancing, we can't meet up in person, so we're going to be doing this through Zoom, so bear with us. Um, we might run into some technical difficulties, but we'll try our best to work through them as much as we can. And then, anyways, um, so I have some of my friends here with me. Um, so if you guys could go around and introduce yourselves, that would be great. We can get started then. Um, I'm Angie. This is Brendan. I'm Vicki. I'm Sarah. I'm Joanna. And I'm Jay. Okay, great. Um, so we can get started with our first, I guess, kind of topic in relation to this. So what is the model minority myth? What's the history behind that? If someone wants to start with that, and then we can start unpacking all of this stuff. So what is the model minority myth and like what's the history behind it? Um, I have a definition that we used when we were discussing this in our Asian American affinity group like a while ago. And the definition we had was a model minority is a demographic group whose members are perceived to achieve a higher degree of socioeconomic success than the population average. And this success is typically measured relative by income, education, low criminality, and high family marital stability. Yeah, and as always with America, in order to get the full answer, we need to look at history. And from what I understand is that Asian Americans in general, specifically East Asian Americans, in the early 1900s were not perceived very well by the general populace. But I, I think after the Civil Rights Act was passed in 64, in 65, there was an Immigration Act that was passed that allowed uh, higher edu or Asian American or Asians with higher education to come into this country through immigration and that started this whole process. Yeah I kind of just want to add on to that. Um, so like everything in the U.S. America and especially its politics just kind of goes on what's convenient. So pre-1965 it was easier for the U.S. to just have this massive anti-Asian sentiment so that's pretty predominant in the Chinese Exclusion Act and Japanese internment camps and just um, policies that made it really easy to discriminate against Asian populations. But since the US needed help of Asian countries during the Cold War, they decided that it would be easier for them to not alienate people. So in 1965, they passed the Immigration and Nationality Act, which made it easier for Asians who had marketable professions and degrees to come to the United States. So it was a joint effort um, if, like let's say an Indian wanted to immigrate from India to the US, if that Indian was a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or something that the US government found beneficial, they could come over. But it was based on your socioeconomic status. So that ended up with people, wealthy people, um, who happened to be Asian coming over to the United States. 
I think like the most problematic part of um, just like the narrative of the model minority is that so essentially like specifically if we talk about Chinese people what happened is like during the like gold rush in California and the construction of the transcontinental railroad like a ton of Chinese workers that are just you know laborers and like low-income people like were coming over to the U.S. for jobs and then because like the U.S. was scared that Chinese people were stealing their jobs um, they did like they enacted the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which said that like no Chinese people can come over. And it was repealed in 1943, which is like less than a century ago. And that creates like the discrepancy between like, um, you know, super high educated, like high income uh, East Asians versus the people that came over during the gold rush and the, and like the beginning of time because like they only let you know super educated Chinese people come over to America. Um, I read this article like recently and it said that in 1943 the reason they repealed the Chinese Exclusion Act and allowed a quota of 105 Chinese immigrants each year which is such a small number was because they wanted the Chinese government's help against um, the fight against the Japanese like in World War II. And so obviously, like Joanna said, and also Vicky, like these things only passed because it was beneficial to the US for these things to pass. It wasn't like civil rights, like pushing like for Asians to have more freedoms. It was just convenient. And um, going off of that with, I think Joanna was touching on this with the um, Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965. So I think that was where this idea of exceptionalism, which is um, a strong point of the model minority myth, um, which is where it originates from, is that um, the success of Asian Americans specifically was kind of guaranteed prior to their arrival. Um, and because the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965 prioritizes, um, they prioritize things as, such as um, professional scientists and artists of exceptional ability. I'm reading straight from um, this article. And so, 1965, obviously, in the midst of the civil rights movement. So with that, um, relating this back to um, Black Lives Matter specifically, um, and during the time of 1965, so that was the successes of Asian Americans were kind of used as a way to demonize um, the Black community specifically. So that kind of branches off a little bit, but that idea of exceptionalism was kind of guaranteed um, before their arrival. Anyone else want to say anything? Okay, so our next question is, how has the model minority myth been detrimental to you as an Asian person? So whoever can start, and I guess you can specify um, where your family's from, whether you're South Asian or East Asian, and um, I guess like specifically how that pertains to you. So, um, my family is from Beijing, China. Um, my parents immigrated over. And like, so like the Asian model minority stereotype, I guess, like some examples of this are just like the fact that like we're 
super good at math. Like we're really good at like playing piano and like violin. And it's just like all of this typical Asian stereotypes that you'll think about. Um, you know, we have like really mean moms that will kill us if we get a B. And like, obviously, um, I think we need to recognize the fact that like the, f- the fact that these stereotypes are not like inherently bad. It's not like people look at us and are like, oh my God, they're going to rob me. You know what I mean? Like people are looking at us and they're like, oh, they're probably smart. Like just because they're Asian. So like with that being said, I think it's really important to like recognize that Asians generally like benefit off of white supremacy and like the system we benefit off of it and that's something that I feel like a lot of Asians don't really think about um but I mean obviously this stereotype is like very detrimental because we're like I don't know just expected to do super well in school and like if we don't then like it feels bad it feels like we're a failure I guess and that like our parents will be disappointed And I think also just like a difference in values is also like here because um, like China like seriously values education. It's like the one way that you can like break the cycle and like rise through the ranks. So education is something that I know most Asian families like seriously emphasize. Um, I think it's important to distinguish between like it's kind of easy to group Asians as like a huge like conglomeration as just one thing. Like usually if I think of Asian, I think of other Chinese people like myself, but I think it's important to remember that there are other Asian countries and not all are like full of wealthy people who come to America because they are like wealthy and able to afford those travel expenses. Um, Here's a statistic. It said, it says a breakdown of college degree attainment by Asian ethnic groups shows that Cambodians, Hmongs, and Laotians, Laotians have a rate of less than 9.2%, while Chinese, Filipinos, Japanese, and Koreans are above 40%. And so it's important to see that like the model minority myth could affect different Asians differently. Like for me, being someone who's like educated, my family is like really well off, it might not be like detrimental to me, but for someone who could be like an Asian person of lower socioeconomic status for people to have the same expectations of them even though they aren't necessarily like have all the attributes of like the perfect Asian family that like um is perpetuated in this society like that could be detrimental to their opportunities like with jobs and education and all of that so I think that's an important distinction to make yeah and I think that because there's this homogenous or homogeneous identity that's associated with Asian Americans in general, we can see that policies have been codified to where people like people from Laos or people from Cambodia or people who are experiencing poverty uh, in the Asian American community are often neglected by policy because of the model minority myth, which is also important to address. Um, partially, I think it's just easier for people, especially Americans, to digest culture if they just uh, lump everybody into one group. So, like, if if you're talking about African-American versus African and all the different types of African, because some people still don't think Africa is a continent, which blows my mind, but um, they, like, prefer to just 
homogenize everybody. They prefer to just group everybody in one system. And it's the same thing for Asians. So when you actually look at the poverty rate for the US as a whole compared to Asians, you'll see that the poverty rate for Asian Americans is 12.8 or something like that, which is higher than the national average. And it's not because, oh, well, there's certain Asian groups that earn higher than the traditional white person or the average white person. It's because there are Asian groups that earn less than a white person. And you have to acknowledge that there's both sides. So it's like, yeah, you can't just pick and choose like what one works better for your argument. Because I've noticed that like when people talk about, um, oh, do you want to help starving children out? They'll always be like, African countries, Polynesian countries, and India. But then when it comes to talks about education and class, they'll group India in there too. And I'm like, you, you're, you're chair picking for your argument. That doesn't really work. Like why? <laughs> um, but yeah. I kind of have a question for the group, if you guys don't mind, Jordan, if you don't mind. Um, so this kind of goes back to what Vicky and Angelina were talking about earlier. Do you think that the model minority myth has caused the community overall to tie their success to, or tie their identity to their success at a higher rate than other high functioning like groups? Do you think that it's more prevalent in the Asian American community because of this? I think like we're always for being the model minority and obviously like praise is something that feels great and it's like probably really problematic because when people look at like the systemic oppression in America they're like okay but like Asians are minorities too and look at them like they're doing great and like so that didn't exactly answer your question but I feel like a lot of the time America uses us as like a scapegoat to just like, I don't know, like go away with all of their, or excuse their other oppression and like stuff like that. Right. I think that like, right. you know, oh, go ahead. you go, go ahead and I'll go after. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say, so I think that one of the, one of the, I guess the core traits that people like you, like Vicky was saying, is like, we like, they like to use our like idea that, oh, the Asians work hard and we, we work hard to get our degrees and stuff. So they kind of use that as an excuse. And that's kind of like an indirect dig, if you think about it, towards like Black American, if, uh, uh, Black American, think about it, or other minorities who aren't doing as well as Americans, because they're saying, well, look at them, they're doing well and they, they work hard and they're law-abiding citizens. Therefore, if you guys did the same thing, it's like, it's like sort of like an indirect dig, if that makes sense, towards those like less fortunate, I guess. And so um, my thing is like, I think that one of the interesting things is people like to use it as a scapegoat, as Vicky said really well, is that like Asian Americans do well. And so why can't everyone else do be like us, which is, and I think an interesting thing here is like, because it's that model minority benefits Asian Americans is we don't want to say anything about it. We don't want to say, we don't want to like kind of tear apart that sort of thing and say that it's a, it's affecting, it's detrimental to the other races because ultimately like, if it benefits us, we don't say anything about it. Does that make sense? I definitely see what you're saying. Um, something that came to mind was the pull, your, uh, pull yourself up by the bootstrap theory. I don't know if you've heard that before, um, but I definitely have seen this a lot. Um, among the South Asian, I myself am South Asian, um, among the South Asian community especially, there's a lot of anti-Blackness. And I think um, in discussing with family members and other members of my South Asian community. Um, I've seen this 
idea that um, that South Asians believe that Black Americans, Americans specifically, that they just have not worked hard enough. They're just not as hardworking. And um, that since Asian Americans have succeeded in the system, that Black Americans are just not as doing as much as they should and it's a reflection on them as an individual as opposed to um, the system as a whole. And I think that makes, that brings up an important point about how the model minority myth um, drives the wedge between Asians Ameri Asian Americans and um, Black Americans and how it kind of um, alienates us and just pits us against each other. Um, and that's definitely something I've seen a lot in my own South Asian community, so. Yeah, I can speak at least to like the like my parents' friend circles. My mom is like left-leaning in her views and she's always getting into arguments with Chinese people who were immigrants themselves yet put themselves on a pedestal and are now like ultra conservative. And I think it's interesting that it plays into exactly like what the goal of people who like introduce model minority myth into society. It's like you come and then you put Asians on a pedestal and then they become like the self-righteous, like, oh, we deserve what we got because, and we worked hard for it. And anyone who like is suffering or like is in poverty, it's their own fault. And so I think um, a lot of people like my parents' age, like fall into the trap of it. But I think for kids younger like us, we don't necessarily tie our success to the model minority myth. Like I know, pressure like I get from schools a lot for myself and my parents, but I don't necessarily feel pressure to do well just because I'm an Asian. But I think maybe that's like a generational thing. I don't know. Um, I kind of want to go off of that. I think a lot of Asians don't attribute themselves to the fact that they like chose to be here. Their family chose to come to the United States and African Americans didn't. <laughs> um, so it's, it's not an equal playing field. You can't just be like, why don't they just pull themselves up by the bootstraps and like get a job? Like, it's not the same, <laughs> it's not. So um, it's just really hard sometimes to point that out to people because it's also the willingness to accept that fact. Um, but yeah, it's like, yeah, you can definitely see that sort of discrimination or also like kind of racism within the Asian community for sure. I agree. I also think like, I guess the concept or the complex that people use from my model minority myth, like they disregard the history behind it. Like, like Joanna said, like black people didn't come here voluntarily. And like, we were forced to come here. That's a two completely different kind of like ways of coming to the United States. Like we didn't have a choice. And I think like a lot of times when people bring up the model minority myth, they kind of say like, oh well like things like slavery were so long ago so like you have you've had enough time to like pick yourselves back up as like a race and like do all the things that Asian people can do but I'm thinking like you're disregarding the history and the fact that these effects are still being like that are still present like for example like we have like redlining and like the education system and all that kind of stuff like that's part of the reason why black people can't do so well because there's, su there's such underfunded neighborhoods where there's high black populations. Like we can't, we can't do much with that if we don't have the resources. So I see a lot of also like in education where people try and say like Asians do so well and then black people aren't doing well. 
So like, you guys are both minorities, so why aren't you like at the same level? Obviously, we're not gonna be at the same level because we don't have the same funding in our neighborhoods. So you're not gonna have the same resources and access to um, tutoring, to resources, like to community resources, to one-on-one -on -one sessions, to low um, teacher to student, like ratios, like that's not gonna be the same. So I feel like the arguments are very different. They're very one-sided. And then also when people try and use statistics to kind of like quote unquote prove their point, like it, it doesn't work because there's so much more history behind those numbers that people don't want to talk about or don't want to acknowledge. Um, I kind of want to talk about the educational side a little bit more. So um, I go to the first integrated school in, um, and it's in a urban eight neighborhood, predominantly black, and it was made magnet so that they could diversify it socioeconomically too. So um, there's a wide range of AP classes and there's all this stuff available, except the school is massively underfunded. And it's because like a lot school funding based on the land value that the school's on. So because my school is right outside of uh, downtown, what people generally call the ghetto, um, it's taxes are lower. Like it's, <laughs> it's land property value is lower than um, it would have been if the school was in white suburbia. So we have 10 times as much programs because we are a magnet school, but we have about 10 times less funding. <laughs> and obviously I'm exaggerating the statistics, but that's kind of the reality of it. We're not capped, so we can take as many students as we want to. And I realized, like, I remember the first time I recognized that I had more privilege than some of my classmates was like in middle school. I went to a very similar middle school. And I had to stay after school until like six o'clock and I went past one of the classrooms and I noticed that they were feeding some of the kids, like they were feeding them dinner. And I was worried about like the math class, the math test I had to take tomorrow. And they were like, oh, if I go home, there's no food. So the difference is like, it's not just, oh, the school is underfunded, but the kids that go there have different priorities because some of them don't even have a home to go to. So it's like, you could say, oh, black kids are underperforming because they just don't want to take care, take um, advantage of the opportunities presented by the school, but they have other things they have to worry about when they get home. Versus me, I just need to go home and study. So it's, it's massively different. And I thank you for bringing that up. I think it's also like really important to highlight the fact that like the entire system is like built upon like oppression against like black people in America. Like that's the what the entire system is. Um, and like, I think like also something that kind of plays into like education and like the model minority um, is like affirmative action. So um, I know like so many Asian parents who like, you know, are conservative and like support like conservative politicians because they're like oh we'll take away um affirmative action and they're like my kid works hard like they don't deserve to be like discriminated against like because they're asian and like we should be able to get into schools but like and i think also a, a common misconception is that all asians are against affirmative action like that's not true at all like i know someone has said to me before like oh like affirmative action like you must like hate it like no i think it's like should exist and it needs to exist um but I do think that like a lot of Asians don't recognize the fact that like you know we have benefited from like 
like this system. Also, like we were literally cherry picked, like to come over because like they only allowed high educated people to and high income people to immigrate over. So like when we benefit from the system, like it's not like we're being restricted from schools. It's that they're just trying to like, you know, level out the playing field. I definitely like the affirmative action is something I definitely want to touch on because I see that's really just where people try and make the argument about model minority myth and like I don't so like I don't know if you remember but like at school a while ago they had that affirmative action pro con like debate so they had this this guy from the con side like who, who did not support affirmative action. He was a white, old, likely rich journalist from Fox News trying to like talk about how affirmative action is so unnecessary. And like honestly, like his like the words that he said, like the content was so one-sided. He pulled up like statistics out like like I brought up earlier, like just like one-sided statistics without the history. And then like, it really was just like in a slap in, a slap in the face for me as a black person, because like he was basically just kind of saying that like, I didn't deserve to go to the private school that I'm at right now. Like it belonged to a white person or belonged to someone else who like was smarter or was richer. And then like, it also just kind of like goes into the college thing, it's like, how insecurities and stuff like that within the black community can be stemmed from people like that who try and say like, you took a white person's spot. So like, what are you doing? Like, you better like use it. You better like all this kind of stuff. I'm just saying like, it was just so one-sided because he didn't bring in the fact that like, racism is still a problem. Like that's part of the reason why black people can't go very far. And not in the sense of like every black person, but like, racism like has us by the neck and like not like jokes aside like I don't know how they expect us to I don't really know the word for it but it really just like that assembly really was just a slap in the face for me because like he demeaned like all of the things that I went through as a black person and trying to get to the school and then also trying to go to a college that like it's just the whole affirmative action thing that presentation Honestly, I just, that made me so mad. I didn't even realize how impactful in a negative way that presentation really was until like a couple months later. Cause it was just so shocking to hear that kind of stuff coming from a old white rich guy. Yeah, first of all, I like completely agree, but I think both sides were just like, did not have good arguments. Both sides were like really flat, had one-sided view on like the topic, which is like, it has a lot of aspects, like affirmative action. Anytime someone talks about it, you just immediately think of race. And I know this isn't like a talk about affirmative action, so I won't like get too into it. But I feel like people focus on this idea of race when it's like, it's not the only thing that affirmative action is trying to fix, is trying to solve. And like, people don't realize that college admissions aren't going to like, like quotas are unconstitutional race is just this this like policy is just to help level the playing field for like people who have faced discrimination like that has pushed them down so far and like sorry I'm just like a little like passionate about this I guess um 
Yeah. Okay. Someone, Vicky, go ahead. I know I, I know I just talked about I swear I'll shut up soon. But um, I just wanted to bring up this thing that I saw recently on Instagram. It was like Asian Students Matter. And it was like this bill uh, in California about how like some UC schools were, were going to like um, put in a quota to like lessen the amount of Asian students that they have in their system. But like, and I saw that post and it had like, you know, like tens of thousands of likes and comments and people sharing it with the hashtag like Asian students matter. And like, first of all, that bill is not true. Like that's like, it's literally unconstitutional to have a quota, like that's not possible. And like, if anyone did like even, you know, a second of research on Google, they would see that like, it's just, that's not what the bill said. But the fact that, like, I think that this, like, seriously plays into mo the model minority myth. And, like, I saw, like, even, like, some of my friends, you know, reposting it because they just think that, like, you know, as Asians, we're entitled to spots in prestigious colleges, which isn't true. And then also, like, the fact that the hashtag they used was, like, Asian students matter, like, that is absolutely ridiculous to me. And it was just, you know, thousands of people who agreed with it. Like the fact that they would, you know, try to like take the like take the Black Lives Matter movement and turn it into something about Asian students is like just ridiculous. Like I can't even I don't know. I think something else is like for Asian students, it's like the the matter of getting into a prestigious college is like if I if I don't get into this prestigious college I won't have that name but there's going to be other opportunities for them like other schools that will accept them and for like other minorities like black people in America or like Hispanics like they could be relying on like one acceptance to pull them out they could be like relying on one acceptance to pull them out of like any situation they're in and I feel like there's just such like a tunnel vision when it comes to like Asian families and education that really just like is harmful and I know like my parents like also are super against like affirmative action and they only focus on the aspect of race which again is not all that affirmative action is about. I think the focus for one thing I think the focus on affirmative action being about race is like like uh, Joanna was saying at the beginning it's sort of like a convenient an easy answer that people can use as like to blame and say that affirmative action is like a bad it's a bad thing i guess and i think that's something that like i think as as americans in general we like to do is we like to just kind of blame it on one thing and when in general it's a very complicated answer but people just like to target in one thing zero in on something like race i think that's something that a problem that we have approaching like sort of issues in america is that we just kind of tend to want to just make it a simple answer and like oh if it's racism then we should just not be racist like that's not how problems are solved there's a lot more depth when it comes to in general and also another thing I want to touch on is I think especially with like in the Asian community I think we grow in on ourselves a lot it's like and I wouldn't say I definitely would say that it's a selfish act but I think that I mean it makes sense in perspective because obviously like if I was a parent I would want my kid to go to the best school that they can go to so we think that like like your parents you to go to a good school and so we tend to as a culture I think Asian Americans tend to zero in on ourselves I guess a lot and if it benefits us we don't say anything because we don't want it to change and I think that's 
sort of some an approach that I think could be changed a little bit more so the Asian community could be more outspoken and sort of assist the other minorities or the other people who are struggling in our societies today. I think you make a really great point um, in regards to, um, I think that can definitely be related back to dismantling the model minority myth because as Vicky was saying, we benefit off of um, the model minority myth in, in a way, uh, no, we benefit off of white supremacy specifically. <laughs> we are closer to white supremacy um, with the, the... We were uplifted like, by the system. Yeah, like we benefit yeah. off of the system that yeah. was made to like oppress, you know, other minorities. Exactly. Not saying that we do not have our own roadblocks um, because of our own race, um, but in a like we are um, uplifted, as Vicky said, by white supremacy um, in contrast to black individuals. So to work towards dismantling the model minority myth, um, we have to lean away from that convert, which um, I think this is one of Jordan's questions about how can we work towards dismantling it. Um, but yeah. That's like a good question. Like, how do you like take away something that's like, I guess, good for like one race? Like, how do you, do you start saying like, oh, Asians, like not all Asians are good at math or like proving them wrong? Like, how do we go about this? Well, I think it's I also, think... Oh. Go ahead, Vicky. No, you go. I think you were gonna say something more relevant than I was, so. Okay, so I think that the virus, COVID, COVID situation actually shows us how easy it is to drop something like the model minority, because like that, model minority went, and now it's the China virus, right? Like, people were calling it the China virus, and that just shows you how quickly you can shift from putting people on a pedestal to just throwing them under the bus and uh, turning them into victims of like crimes that we've seen across the country as uh, crimes against Asian Americans. I was just gonna say that like, um, while like we do as a race or ethnicity like benefit off of the system, it's also important to recognize that like, we've touched on this like earlier, but that like a lot of, you know, East or Southeast Asians and like, other Asians aren't as privileged as like uh, the people that were like, you know, high educated, high income that came over after the, they like let, let us, let it us, let, they let us, <laughs> they let us come over. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like there were a lot of um, Asian people who immigrated over like in the 1800s as just laborers like they were just workers like low-income workers and these people still exist in America and so the model minority myth is super detrimental to like them as well because they're expected as Asians to be superior or to have everything that we as like privileged individuals have but in reality a lot of these families are like super disadvantaged so that's also a super problematic part of like the model minority myth I don't know how we could work towards dismantling it. I guess just more education about like the history of it 
but I think also since like it's such a con like it's such a complex concept that's like ingrained into so many people's minds like consciously and subconsciously like we can't like it's not I don't think it would be possible to change every single person's mind about the model minority myth and saying how like it's detrimental to both Asian the Asian community and other communities like it's such a it's just so complex and so many people believe it even though you have like as many people like not believing it and not like in actually understanding that it's more like it there's more history to it there's more I guess issues with it I think I guess just like doing what you can in your community like yourself like calling your own self out if you like see yourself kind of like not benefiting from it but like I don't know the word for it like I guess using it to your advantage in like a negative way I don't really know how to like word it properly like, like calling exploiting. yourself out. yeah something like that like exploiting it like call yourself out on it and then call other people around you out on it like it's such a like it's not it's not going to be easy like I don't think it'd be something that we could change in our lifetimes but it's just been so ingrained for such a long time but I think just like trying to make the difference of calling out people and like educating people so it's not just like statistics or one-sided arguments so you're getting both sides stuff like that Also, because the model minority myth places um, Asian, non-Black Asian Americans on a pedestal above um, Black Americans, um, when we see ourselves um, fitting, conforming to that hierarchy, that supposed hierarchy, um, I think also um, taking, forcing us to take a step back and just um, reflecting from there, I think. I want to go back to what oh, I just wanted to go back to what Jay was saying about how how easily the minority myth can be just kind of dropped like that, like with the uh, like the I guess the China virus or the chink virus. It's like it's like immediately as soon as this COVID kind of came around, like immediately Asian Americans were being like kind of regarded as like not as important or that model minority myth was kind of dropped because everyone just thought that like we created the virus, I guess, in a sense. And I think that it just brings up a good point about how, how much power the kind of the majority has over the, over the minorities to put it as simply as possible is the idea that like, as soon as the majority thinks of the minority a different way, then immediately that's just how things change. So this just like the addressing the, 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 the topic of how like the majority has so much power over, over, um, minorities more than we think that they do I guess and I guess it's kind of most relevantly shown in this COVID virus. So if you put it like that the solution is easy they just have to give up power voluntarily but obviously that's a gross oversimplification. But I mean but, like isn't it in 2050 that the U.S. will become a majority minority? Where right it's like but the, the issue with that though is that, like the line for whiteness has been moving throughout history. Like when I read a book called Between the World and Me by Tom Nahasi Coates, and he talks about how the definition of whiteness has completely changed over history. Like when the Irish came in and the Italians came in through immigration in the early 1900s, they were not considered white at all. And they were discriminated as well. 
but now you can see how the definition has changed. So majority minority may have an impact, but it also may not because as Brandon like elucidated, they have so much power or the majority has so much power to redefine how we think, I guess. I think it's also like, um, like a good thing to recognize that like they literally made the minority myth to like pit us minorities against each other and it's working with like you know the Asian students matter versus like black lives matter like that is so stupid but like everyone plays into it and like no matter what even if we benefit off the system because they made us benefit off the system so that they could show the other minorities that like you know like look at this minority like they're doing fine like even though we benefit off the system like they're always gonna view us as like minorities like they're going to view us as foreigners and like different so um i think like another thing is like obviously we have a lot of privilege as like the model minority so another way to think about like dismantling it is instead of maybe like bringing asians americans like down it's like you lift other minorities up which is like a lot of like especially with this whole movement that's been happening recently, it's like, you know that Asian Americans benefited off of the, like, the work, the hard work of, like, civil rights activists for, like, Black Americans in, like, throughout history, and so now we have to do our part to use our privilege to uplift them as well, and I think a lot of Asian people, like, kind of avoid that they're like oh I don't know a lot about this like I had a friend an Asian American from public school who's like oh I don't know a lot about BLM so I'm not going to say anything about it well you have resources at your fingertips and it's your duty as someone who has privilege to research about this and like advocate for people using your own privilege I guess that's kind of like a thing of like, I guess this whole idea of like, I don't want to get involved. Oh, my bad. Did you want to say something? Okay. I just wanted to say like, I guess this interesting thing about like the I, cause I, at the beginning of this sort of BLM movement, admittedly, I didn't really want to get involved. I like tried to, but I just felt like there was just like a swamp of information and it was just a lot of stuff going on. And I just felt like I was just better off kind of sitting back and not doing, I guess not doing my part in a sense. And I think that there were a lot of people, sort of pressuring me into into like they were like telling me oh you have to get involved like you have you have a platform you have people who listen to you you should you should definitely be trying to be more outspoken in that in that sense and calling your friends out when they like make jokes or whatever right but I guess my I kind of forgot where I was going with this but I guess the interesting thing about I guess it's like the whole idea of transitioning from I don't want to get involved is just because like I didn't want to get involved because I thought I would be I would be at stake right because like obviously in my position it's this is going to sound terrible, but like, I'm going to go ahead and say it. So it's like my friends, my friends obviously make those jokes, right? So if I started standing up for this movement and I started kind of speaking out, I knew that they, I would get backlash from them, right? So that's the most simple high school way to explain the idea that because of our privilege in the Asian American culture and because of the way that we benefit from the model minority, I think that we choose not to say anything about it or, and if, or if we do, we don't, we do, we try not to support the, sort of the black community because we're benefiting from the whites being on our side. Does that make sense at all, I guess? And so I think that it's like my high school example is basically saying that because people don't want to get involved because we're afraid that we're putting ourselves and our power and sort of where we are at risk. Does that make sense?
this is kind of um, not addressing Brandon's point directly, um, but previously what Angie was saying, um, as Asians, as Asian Americans specifically, um, I just think that we need to be conscious of how, um, of just our role in white supremacy as well, which I did mention earlier, but um, it's, you can't really think of it as just like just black people and just white people that are, or just white people that are antagonizing black people. Like it's us too. So um, I think, I know a lot of people, a lot of South Asians and a lot of um, just Asians in general that didn't really feel like it was their place to get involved. It didn't really make any, a lot of sense to me since we're part of the, we can be part of the problem too, even though we're also a minority. Um, and it's until we are working towards being actively anti-racist, which isn't something that's like, um, something that's gonna happen. Jordan used this analogy to me the other day, but it's not like a treasure you can find. Um, but until, until we continue to work at being actively anti-racist, then we're still part of the problem, so. I think it's like, it's kind of a cultural thing though, right? Because I know we talked about this in the affinity group. It's like, as like Chinese, at least I know in my family, especially it's like the idea is like, you just kind of keep your head down and get as far as you can and work as hard as you can and just don't worry about everyone else. And so I think that, I mean, that kind of the not being outspoken thing is a cultural thing. I don't know. I can't really speak for other people, but I know that in my family, it's like the idea that like we have a lot of emphasis on like, you know, don't really say too much, just, you know, take what you have and then just keep running with it and see how far you can get. And so I think that that's a cultural thing. And obviously it's like, this kind of changes are very generational things. Like you kind of have to, it's, it has to be something that you do over like many, many years and many generations of time before this really can be changed at all. Because like our parents aren't really, like we're not gonna be able to change their views at this point. So our goal now is just to kind of generation and teach our kids to like, you know, be more outspoken and kind of adopt a different like anti-racist sort of outlook on life or at least you know you know what I mean right and so there's that it's like these changes have to be generational because now at least with the way that my parents are teaching me it's like you kind of have to just keep your head down and I don't know I kind of went on a tangent there but I think nah, that makes sense um yeah I think that definitely makes sense and like we also touched on this earlier but like the fact that there's a lot of like racism, anti-blackness within the Asian community. Like, I think that um, it's not necessarily that we can't change our parents' outlooks. Like, anytime they say something basically problematic, like, you call them out. Like, that's what I feel like we just need to start doing. Like, whenever you see anti-blackness present in your community, which I know for me, at least, like, it's very present. Like, you just need to start calling out the racism and, like, and educating your family. And, like, um, even with these small changes, like, it's important that we do everything that we can to get people to understand. Okay, so I guess the next thing we can move on to is how has the model minority myth affected the way you think um, as a minority in America? So if it's changed the way you think about yourself, your community, or the world? I mean, the classic answer is it's like the expectation, right? Like wherever I am, like whether I'm like on the soccer team or like if I'm in class or whatever with my friends, 
Whereas like whenever there's something even remotely related to mix or math or whatever, like the expectation is like, I'll know the answer or something like that. I guess that's a very simple answer, but the, I guess the, the easiest way that I can put it is that like, at least for me, it's always been just like the expectation that, Oh, I've got to be this model minority. Like that's who I should be. Right. And so obviously it's like a kind of an interesting thing. Cause it's like a goal to chase, like you should be there, but at the same time, it's like, this is the expectation is unnecessary, I guess, if that makes any sense. I think the reason why a lot of um, Asians embrace the model minority myth is because there's a lot of, there's a lot of harmful stereotypes attached to Asians as well, like culturally, that um, we can't really drink or that Asian guys are, or <laughs> that, um, Indians smell like curry or that we're terrorists or it's like there's like these stereotypes attached to Asians as well that are harmful and so the model minority myth oper operates as something that you can just take and be like look at how successful I am like I'm better than white people so it's like the minority myth like it gives you that opportunity to be like oh these stereotypes are clearly not true because I have all this stuff going for me um but I think as a community, we just need to stop caring about what the white majority has dictated for us. Just like, I mean, we accept the fact that a lot of those things are just not true, like blatantly just incorrect. So if we accept that, then I don't think that there's a really a reason for the model minority myth to exist within our community, because it's like, if we say that it doesn't exist or it doesn't help us or it's not beneficial to society as general, in general, I think that would <laughs> dismantle a lot of its base or supporters because I think a lot of them are Asian. I think so to kind of, go ahead, Jordan. Are you sure? Okay, so for me as a black person in America, the model minority myth, like the concept itself it, like it hasn't hindered me in a physical way from like doing things that I want to do obviously like that comes with privilege because like private education all that kind of stuff like that's like kind of a concept in itself that needs to be dived into at a different time but like the model minority myth hasn't like physically hindered me from doing things but like it definitely has changed the way I thought because like especially at school where there's a very, very, very small black population, but there's like a high population of um, other minorities, like especially at school, like I think more in like the societal norms or the sense of like in the min model minority myth that I'm not doing enough, even though like I definitely am, like cause I'm putting in the work, I'm doing what I need to do. So like, like it, it kind of makes me think like why we have to be like confined to white people's like sets of achievements for us like quote-unquote achievements and what we have to accomplish like and like why they're being upheld by them like like from my perspective like the model minority myth was use to devalue and deny black americans experiences so like we're all like black people are always told like you need to work twice as hard to get half of what other people have. So then like it also kind of goes back to I guess the affirmative action thing of like 
you like stole someone's spot in that kind of thing. So it kind of, like I said, like it makes me kind of wonder if I'm doing enough, even though I am doing enough and like what I really deserve in that kind of sense, because like white people in the sense of like the people who uplift the model minority myth of like subconsciously told me that like, I don't deserve a spot at the table, which is insane. But like it's reality. Like that's what oftentimes is being taught. So I don't know, it's just kind of the thing of like for black people, like if we go past that, I guess like quote unquote set of achievements they have for us, they think that we like cheated our way to the top. Or like we don't deserve it. Kind of just the same thing of like like I said before, like a white person could have done it so much quicker or that we took their spot, something like that. Like they like devalue our achievements because like we went further than like what they like put us as. I don't know if that makes sense, but like it really just kind of is like a box that they have us in. And then once we like go past the box, they're like, what did you just do? Like, that's not right. Something like that. Right. There's that like that separation between like even the, the word, like the phrase model minority itself has minority in it. Right. So it's like, this is kind of the cap that you have that that's kind of like the box that you sit in if you go anywhere else it's like that's not that way like hold up you weren't supposed to do that right and so like I guess if like uh, Joanna said which was a great way to put it I guess we just kind of have to like not we just can't really fall into that into that sort of like I guess box and, and we just have to keep kind of breaking it open that was a lot of information to unpack unpack um but I think that it really was a lot of good content. You know, it came from a lot of people's experiences, people being open, people being honest. Um, and I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you guys for coming on here with me um, a lot, actually, because it's only the second episode, but I feel like it like ha- it has so much potential. Um, so thank you guys so much for being a part of this. And um, yeah, I'll see you guys next time in the next episode of Unapologetic Podcast.